This is Shannon in Durham. Chip in Durham. And Erica in Edmonton. And you are listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 111, The River of Souls. Sleeping in Light is not appearing in this podcast. And hello again to our listeners as we are in our penultimate official episode for this run. wait, I thought Objects at Rest was the penultimate one. We've been through this, Chip. Yes, we have. A couple of times. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, I'm just being smug. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah, I feel like I drew the short end of the stick for my last moderating. (laughs) (laughs) I I will say that. Um, but yes, we had discussed here and there. We, I don't think we were planning to do River of Souls, uh, at this point, uh, even though this is where it is in the master list that we have been following on, uh, com. But then somebody sort of like pushed his glasses up his nose and, and went well, actually. Hi, Jason Snell. Glad to have you back. Oh, hi there. Yeah, I brought this upon all of you, but uh, I'm here now, so I guess I also brought it upon myself. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's great to be back. I love your podcast. I listen to every episode. And I did have a moment where I said, you know, you really should do River of Souls. It's sort of set after Objects at Rest and before Sleeping in Light. And it's the... uh, So here we are. It aired before the finale, and therefore, perhaps given that your big final episode next time... That you gave it could... to Chip. <laughs> I didn't know that. I, I didn't realize the ramifications of, of doing that. No wonder Chip agreed. Every 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 action has has a has consequences, Jason. Consequences. Oh boy. <laughs> Understanding is a three edged sword. Your side, their side, and Chip gets the finale. Mm. <laughs> you can't see what I'm doing right now, Chip. Uh, it's probably communicating <laughs> in sign language. Um, yeah, but I I blithely assumed that like uh, the next Babylon 5 movie, which we won't be getting to for some time, that this aired sometime after Sleeping in the Light, the series finale. And, and it, it did not. Nope. It did not. It actually it- aired way be- way earlier than it should have. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, chronologically, it is set... As many things may be <laughs> that aren't covered yet, I'm going to be vague about that. Because of of uh, Sleeping in Light, there's a little hole here where some stuff can, can get dropped in. Mm-hmm. And this was aired that month, which I think the original plan was aired the same week as the finale, but that didn't happen. They moved it earlier and uh, yeah, people got... Yeah, like from November 23rd to November 8th, according to... Um... Season five was a chaotic time. (laughs) (laughs) Just a bit. They kind of spoiled that Garibaldi survives the season then. Yeah, Yeah. although I'm not sure this episode is. I mean, it's it's got Sheridan's not in charge anymore and Lockley's in charge, but it doesn't really aggressively talk about that, you know, what has happened before. So I think that if you were a casual viewer... You might not think anything of, of of it. Oh, I guess Sheridan somewhere else or something like that. I think I think it was. It's not so heavy on the continuity that somebody would be like, "Wait a second, this reveals everything about the following." You know, the rest mm-hmm. of the season of Babylon Five. I don't think it reads like that. No, it, it. I mean, we know some characters are not on the station anymore, but that that's about it. Um, everything else, uh, even though some of the stuff that's being referenced is going all the way back to the second episode of the very first season. <laughs> um, that. Um, it does 
it fills in the gaps within uh, the exposition exposition of the story. Um, so, yeah. uh, so taking a look at uh, what you need to know, like I said, they explain just about everything that you really need to know in the story. So all you need to know is Babylon 5 is a space station, a key hub of travel and commercial interests that is run by Earth's Force. And that's kind of all you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> that's our shortest what you need to know ever. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, but in this movie, an archaeologist, Dr. Bryson, finds his way into a storage site of souls collected by the race known as Soul Hunters, and takes a large globe with him. He goes to Babylon 5 to meet Michael Garibaldi, who is going through the backlog of projects funded by Eggers Industries and weeding out the unprofitable ones. Soon after, a Soul Hunter arrives to collect the globe, which contains the souls of a billion Ragla, an advanced race that the Soul Hunters believed was on the verge of mass extinction. Some of these beings, driven insane and intent on revenge for millennia of imprisonment, escape into the energy systems of the station. Captain Lockley acts to save the Soul Hunter from attack and comes close to dying in the process. The sane Ragla take advantage of the few seconds her heart stops to communicate that the Soul Hunters erred. The Ragla were not dying, but were on the verge of evolving into the next level and leaving their physical bodies behind. Lockley convinces the Soul Hunter of the mistake and the Soul Hunter tries to convince his brethren, who have come to destroy the station and take back what they believe is theirs. With only minutes before, A, the insane Ragla destroy the station's reactor, and B, his brethren attack, the Soul Hunter offers his own life in a promise that the Ragla will be cared for and released in a controlled manner. And, and by the way, there was this unauthorized hollow brothel on the station. So, yeah yeah that is classy the river of souls um which to me personally uh, kind of like what we sort of thought third space was it feels like just more of an extended episode mm -hmm. than a like marquee movie kind of plot uh what about you guys did you get that impression or something yeah. different yeah that it very much felt that way to me in fact i wrote at one point um, I couldn't believe that I was watching a B plot happening, which is this <laughs> hollow brothel thing, which sort of ties into the plot, but it, it's not necessary to be there. And I thought to myself, why you're doing a movie and you do it with a B plot, like it's an episode. And, you know, so it did, it did feel very much to me like a, essentially a two part episode of Babylon five that did not have enough material to merit two parts. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was disappointing. Plus, I think the idea that you're doing a TV movie, there's also some expectation of scope in a TV movie. And that's something I'm sure we can, can talk about in this episode. But that was the thing that I kept coming back to again and again is it, it's as if you took an episode, you know, something the density of one Babylon 5 episode and inflated it to two. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. the density drops by half because this, in terms of the cast and the people on the station and all that... It just feels empty, which is the opposite of what your big TV movie event should feel like. It feels like there's nobody on the station and there's kind of nobody doing anything. And there, and I know you guys must have noticed this. You've talked about, you talk about supporting characters on Babylon 5 all the time, right? And the extras and all mm -hmm. that. But there is, I'm not sure I remember a more painful set of this character literally can't speak because we can't afford to pay them for a speaking part only for a non-speaking part. Mm -hmm. And there are several characters where it makes no sense that they don't talk, but yeah. they don't yeah. talk because they're too cheap to pay them 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as as soon as this finished, Stephen, our control group, turned to me and said, "Well, that was a thing that happened, all right." <laughs> <laughs> and his next sentence was. Why did they make that again? I'm just curious. <laughs> Contractual yeah. obligation. I, yeah, yeah, he was like, this was, and he said exactly the same thing that Jason did. It didn't seem to justify the length. He's like, the momentum was just not there. He was, he was reminiscing. He was like, you know, what was the other one? Yeah, third space. I really, really liked that one. Um, and then, and then in the beginning, that was, I liked that one too. But, but this, he just trailed off. Yeah, I don't uh, want to kind of, just, I, I don't want to arbitrarily ascribe. What happened? You know, I don't want to. I, I don't have a condo in J. Michael Straczynski's head. Uh, you know, I, and it's probably unfair, but it does feel kind of like his attention was elsewhere. Yep. Well, he talked about. I don't know how much time he had to pull this together. He mentions in the Lurker's Guide a little bit about having to finish season five, and all he had for this was sort of ideas in his head that he needed to get down so he could run the premise by TNT. And Warner Brothers. So I don't know how much of his own creative energy was available. I kind of get the feeling that he had some big ideas that didn't quite come off in execution. Uh, I mean, you were talking about how there needed to be like a bigger scope. Frankly, he was exploring the mythology of Babylon 5. I mean, he's going all the way back to uh, the Soul Hunters and what they think they're doing with people who are dying. We have run across several different races and their views on dying and what afterlife is involved with each of them. And then they bring in the fact that the Soul Hunters screwed up as badly as anything possibly could and captured an entire race that was about to go Vorlon uh, at the point that they were about to go to the next level. Um, that feels like a pretty huge theme to deal with. So I, I feel like his vision was there. Um, and Jason, uh, to your point about the holobrothel thing, um, that kind of echoes, in a way, a secondary theme that runs along the same lines, taking an aspect of somebody or something without permission. The soul hunters were taking whatever they feel was left of a person at death without, without permission, and this brothel guy was taking images of these people without permission. And, you know, if we want to at some point talk about, you know, is that any better than a real brothel, et cetera, and so forth, we can. But I think there was, I think there were ideas that I don't know. I don't know exactly where things fell apart in the script, but it felt like disjointed a bit. Um, characters would sort of like disappear and then come back. It's like you know, you you mm-hmm. get a you get a solid character actor like Ian McShane. He's like Mister mm-hmm. Wednesday in American Gods now, um, and he kind of just vanished for the middle third to. Two thirds of he's basically of, not in the episode after the midpoint yeah, because yeah. When because when back, you do no see lines. him he has no lines he's just sitting in a yoga pose for the yeah. rest of the episode. Steven <laughs> Steven was not happy about that. I mean, well, when he first appeared, Steven just like flipped out. He's like Ian McShane. Yeah, me too. Ian McShane is in this. I've and forgotten. I had- yeah. I had too. How, how did I forget that? But I did. And then, yeah, at the end, Stephen was just like, Ian McShane is Ian McShane in the first half. And then he's this unspeaking extra for the rest of it. They might as well have just killed him. It's like, oh, harsh but true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, Shannon, I'm going to give you um, an A on the term paper because I think you have pulled (laughs) some some really nice ideas about the parallelism of this script, uh, or at least the story. I think think my theory is JMS was just he was huffing and puffing to get to the finish Mm -hmm. line. And, and, And so he's got some really interesting ideas here that 
I kept trying to imagine what would this be like if it was like really a movie with really a movie script and 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 you could flesh that out and you could have the hollow brothel thing be being less about the wacky lawsuits and a little more mm-hmm. about the ramifications of taking the images of people i mean it's kind of like revenge porn i thought at yeah. one point it's like that i i think there's some interesting stuff that could have been done there but i i i think he had no time and no energy and um i will also say since uh joe strasinski's on the record as being a big fan of the original star trek that this also feels very much like a star trek episode blown mm-hmm. up like like i wonder if this is an episode concept he's been toying with he'd been toying with for a long time because it, it there are points in the second half where there are lots of speeches about the morality mm-hmm. of capturing souls where i right. i just lockley is basically giving captain kirk speeches to the soul hunter mm-hmm. at, at several yeah. points yeah. and i love how kirky yeah and i loved how you know zach spoke up i mean you've got garibaldi saying you know well there's no such thing as a soul period i don't know what it is you're capturing and then zach is like no hey on wait a minute you know could be could be and i'm really not happy with this so the, yeah the, if giving more examples of that debate i mean we get a few interchanges that talk about this but maybe if there had been the chance for other characters which i would love to if they'd had the budget to bring back more of their um more of their actors yeah, the, well, um, what do the Mumbari think about this? What do the Centauri think about this? Mm-hmm. Right, but yeah. nope. Mm-mm, JMS nope. talks about how he had to balance who he used it where, and he'd already used um, Bruce Boxneitler and Mira Furlan in the first two movies. So he kind of concentrated on Tracy Scoggins and Jerry Doyle and Zach Conaway uh, for most of this one. Uh, and and a know, lot he, of the other characters are kind of off of the board at this point. You can't use you can't use true. Patricia Tallman. You can't use Andreas Katsoulis. You can't use well. It would be hard to use Peter Jurisic. Uh, mm-hmm. You know the the Bill Moomies. It'd be kind of uh, kind of anticlimactic to bring Bill Moomy in uh, yeah. right now. But I'm I'm curious. I don't know if it was just a matter of filming schedules or what. Uh, but you know, we we talked uh, last episode how um, we get that shot of. Sheridan and Delenn leaving Babylon 5 for the last time, and they go to the bridge where the lineup of all of the characters who have stepped up to take their places are lined up. You know, why not have Veer? Why not have Talon? Um, you know, I'm curious, you know, I don't know if there was a reason. I, I mean, it, I assume it's the same reason that there are no other there. There are very few speaking parts in this episode mm-hmm. and that we never hear the assistant at the hollow brothel and we Ugh. never hear the other the other. I mean, for a whole swarm of soul hunters to be outside, we literally never see them until the last scene where one other guy appears yeah. and also doesn't say anything. Right. <laughs> right. I think that's I don't know um, whether they TNT said you need some some better actors and whether the, the paycheck for Martin Sheen and maybe Ian McShane, although he wasn't as well known, but Martin Sheen was well known. Uh, maybe their paychecks kind of eclipsed the mm-hmm. the, the rest of the, the cast budget. But for me, like if, if you if you could come to me and say, what's the one thing that we could do to make this better i would say you need more speaking parts like this mm-hmm. it, it, because you feel like joe straczynski is like pulling back parts of his script because he literally it seems can't have more people talk and mm-hmm. yeah and when we do get a speaking part like like dr franklin it's not even dr franklin right richard briggs right. is playing like a hologram with a funny accent it, and that's it yeah and there's a lots of monologuing in this episode as well, oh, which yeah. if more characters could have talked, 
there could have been sparkling dialogue. Yeah, that Can't is the moment point. <laughs> the, the moment where, where Zach goes into the hollow brothel and sees the woman behind the counter and says, you in charge here? Steven immediately piped up and said, no, I have no lines. Oh. Like, just, <laughs> it, yeah. it doesn't make, I mean, it, it felt both that and the soul hunter at the end. It, it literally felt like, why aren't they talking? What is happening? So what is weird. wrong? Mm-hmm. Am I going crazy? Why are <laughs> yeah. they not saying anything? I mean, you can slightly, slightly, if you reach like Elastigirl, headcanon that the soul hunter at the end does not speak because he doesn't have that communication capability yet. That was a bit of Martin Sheen's performance that right. it took me a few minutes to realize, oh, the longer he's with these people, the more he picks up and the better his speech gets. Because at the beginning, he's very halting and very he's slow. Terrible. And then by the <laughs> end, by the end, he's speaking normally because he has been mm-hmm. around humans and other um, and other races on the station long enough to figure out, OK, this is how you all communicate. Um, so if you really, really want to twist it, uh, second guy hadn't had that chance yet. But but there's nothing you can do for the receptionist at a business. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. part of the job. He's a really bad boss. The guy, the hollow brothel guy. He's a really bad boss, and he's yelled at her for not doing it right when she talks to people. And he says, "Look, when somebody comes in the door, just wait for me to get." See, I can headcanon <laughs> it, but it's just it's so yeah. clearly not yeah. what's happening. Yeah. 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 I wanted to mention as somebody who's a fan of uh, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, great movie. I had one of the things in my notes was imagine if that opening scene where Ian McShane and his little team of people who do get to speak, at least a couple of them, uh, of archaeologists one, or, or whatever, they're they're they're, dig- they're digging. Yeah. Um, and yeah, maybe do they talk? Somebody talks. Does he the just one talk guy, to one of them? Klaus, one guy Klaus talks, talks. and another guy oh, has that's to, right. and the other guy has to like make a make a face to show that the right. that the air is smelling bad because <laughs> he also doesn't speak. So yeah, yeah so there's the t- two speaking parts there. But I thought like I can see that in JMS's head. I can see that Raiders of the Lost Ark style. We're trying to dig through this thing, just like Third Space. It's very much like alien artifacts on far off planets. Like it's really cool, hmm. but. When you watch it, it's just flat and uninteresting and cheap. And it's one of those things where I feel like his vision outstripped the capability of the show. And I don't know which is worse, to write knowing that you have very little budget and a bunch of standing sets or dream big and then have it fall down because you can't realize it. But that feels like what was happening in this yeah, yeah. at the beginning, I feel like it it, it actually started kind of strong. I mean, Stephen was saying this is a really impressive shot at the very, very opening where we get, you know, the kind of camera swooping in on the, the Soul Hunter planet. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, Stephen said the same thing. He's like, ooh, is this like Indiana Jones does Babylon mm-hmm. 5 or, you know, vice versa? And, you know, Ian McShane is is doing his his first few lines in in the uh, before they've even broken through. And Stephen just leans over. No and he's resting. Like, this is the this is the best guest performance Babylon 5 has ever had. And then, you know, that <laughs> oh, they, poor Steven. they, and they open it up and it like gets into, you know, the, the giant room and Steven's like, whoa, it is Indiana Jones. And so like, he was just, you know, enjoying it. But yeah, I think as soon as, as soon as they get too far into Ian McShane talking to Klaus and, and monologuing, and especially once they get back to the station, it's really just all downhill from there. Mm. Yeah, because it's like you only get a couple of the really clever lines from from Klaus about, you know, damnation. And uh, he turns right around, um, you know, and claiming, you know, not to believe in souls, that sort of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, um, 
and I feel like, you know, as far as, you know, in as far as character interaction, it's like, you know, Garibaldi and Lockley and Conaway really just sort of carried this thing. Um, mm-hmm. the, the few yes. times that things like really made me perk up is when they were on the screen and interacting the way they do on the show. Like we finally yeah. see Garibaldi and Con- and and Alan picking on each other again. That hasn't happened yeah. in ages, and and we get to see that. Um, or you know Garibaldi letting Lockley know your your image is kind of popular at that hollow brothel. <laughs> yeah. And the the, or- the perfect the perfect face acting that uh, Tracy Scoggins <laughs> delivers just before they cut away from the elevator shot. Yep. Or even in a more like a sober moment, <laughs> pun half intended mm-hmm. there, uh, when when we get her asking asking him, you know, are are you still sober? Like they've had this this professional exchange and then like she quiets down and asks him and he says as a judge and like that was just a really nice character moment when it is mm-hmm. just our just our people on mm-hmm. screen and they're talking to each other like people. Those there are some really nice moments. It's just that they're they're sprinkled very lightly throughout this thing that's trying to be something much much bigger and much more than that and the bigger and much more parts don't really seem to work yeah especially once martin sheen shows up yeah we've we've, yeah. we've spent a lot of time on uh distribution of lines but i don't think that that's the biggest uh i don't think that's the biggest failing of this episode uh, i i think the biggest failing is it's an episode it's not a movie mm-hmm. yeah yeah, that, yeah but i think they go together in that the scope can't get bigger because there's literally nobody it to take it to like i feel like toward the end i think i actually think it gets better toward the end because the speeches at least at least there's like a moral moral (laughs) quandary happens at the Mm -hmm. end and and, and, although it happens in speeches with two people because there are no other people and i felt like you know you could expand the scope of this a little bit to talk to the aliens about it to get more of a sense of who these people were on this on this planet uh, you know, to d- get more about Ian McShane's character and what he's doing. Like, there are a lot of things that could have gotten expanded, except that I think about it and I think, well, but how? <laughs> like, the, mm-hmm. the, you, when you literally have no more speaking parts. So that's, I think that's a shame of it because I do think that the, the story could have been executed much, much better. But, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I, I agree, Chip. The way it reads now, it, it, I think, I think in the end, uh, JMS needed to get a script out really fast, and he had spent the last several years writing Babylon Five uh, TV scripts, and he couldn't help but basically just do that again. If I were, yeah, and if I were him in the position that he was in, my thought, my focus would be elsewhere. There was, there was, there was something else that he was working on. I actually, I'm. I mean, other than that, he, I think, felt like he had to do everything, and maybe they didn't even have the budget to do it. But this is one of those things where I, I think maybe you should have farmed it out. But who would have written it? Like, there's literally no mm-hmm. staff writers. You get Larry Dottilio back. So remember several years ago when there was a show you were on called Babylon Five, because there's nobody else to write it. So he had to write it basically, and so he did. But he he absolutely had more important things to worry about. Yeah. Just it sort of lends itself to the idea of a, a, a an episode and a half that had to fill two episodes, um, but and we've mentioned this a little bit with a couple of specifics, but just sort of the unevenness of the use of the actors. I mean, you get Richard Biggs back, and he gets that like he gets top billing, you know, before um, along with the other regulars, and he's there for three minutes, more or less. Um, 
And then you get a uh, featured actor who has consistently been a, a background character for um, the last three seasons in Lieutenant Corwin. And Joshua Cox is like in and out and in and out and all of these places. And he's relegated to um, after show credits halfway down. Uh, we mentioned Ian McShane, you know, being sort of in and out and disappearing in the middle of it. So, you know, after, you know, some some good points, he starts strong. I really liked his scene with uh, Garibaldi, the first one where they're talking business and their their warring philosophies are like butting against each other. You know, I thought that was a good scene. And then, like you said, you know, when he's finally back, he doesn't even talk anymore. Uh, so just. Yeah, like if if JMS had had you know either the time to to polish it properly or you know maybe gotten somebody else to look it over, I I don't know. But yeah, there there's good stuff in here. It's just yeah. like gets lost. Well, I think it's time we address the elephant in the room. Although I think in the West Wing he played a donkey. <laughs> You've been saving that. <laughs> it just came from. It just sprang from my mm. forehead just now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, of all people, they get an, an A-list actor like Martin Sheen and and put him under yeah. a lot of alien makeup. For the entire run of the West Wing, I thought to myself, you know, not too long ago, he was a soul hunter. <laughs> <laughs> you are possibly one of the very, very few people who was watching the West Wing who thought that. Mm, probably. Yeah, but I probably. remember the hard times, the lean times for Martin Sheen when he was like, sure, I'll put on some makeup and be a weird alien on Babylon 5. Okay. He'd, you know, I have to say, he wasn't as bad as I remembered him being. I think mm-hmm. uh, that first that first scene, and, and Shannon, right. as you pointed out, it does make it does make sense that he, he gets smoother as he sort of learns. But I think that first scene of him, he's just so bad so shaky as steven put it i think it's Mm -hmm. way beyond shaky Mm -hmm. it's so terrible that that is the only thing that has stood out in my memory even though i've seen this multiple times i'm sure if you ask me in like three months i'm going to remember (laughs) martin sheen being absolutely just stinkiful the entire way through um even though he wasn't like it gets better and he's he's kind of fine but just I, i think it was a very poor decision to to start off that badly because mm-hmm. it's just it, it reads as the 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 worst the worst moments of uh, a low budget science fiction alien. It, yeah, just, I, I'd have bad. to go back and look and see whether they did the same thing in the Soul Hunters episode because I don't no, remember off the not. top of my head. Are they were just that? Dick, I don't know. Heavy handed mm-hmm. with their dialogue all the way through. Yeah, well, the thing is, Morgan Shepard is a good yeah. actor, and yeah. just like I and I would have said, Martin Sheen is a good actor too. But I don't know. Somehow he just I don't know just doesn't doesn't carry it quite as well. He's too OTT. I think even when he settles down a little bit, I think he's he's mm-hmm. too much into the idea that he's playing an alien, so he has to be alien. <laughs> also, Morgan Shepard's weird the whole time, like because that's Morgan yeah. Shepard's thing is that mm-hmm. he's a weird actor and i love him in a- almost everything he's done but uh where martin sheen i think he's trying and the director they're trying to give the soul hunter a little bit of an arc there but mm-hmm. it's just no don't do- i maybe the worry was because later on he's talking like a regular guy and he doesn't yeah. feel like particularly alien at the end of this episode he's like no i'm mm-hmm. gonna go back to my buddies and i'll i'll work this out don't worry about it which is not at that point he's not 
alien at all. So I think they were mm-hmm. just trying to cash in early with enough to make you believe that he's an alien later because he's not a believable alien, I think, at the end. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, and I didn't have a I didn't have a huge problem with the character as written. Um, I thought it was actually kind of nice to see the the weird alien soul hunter come along and then through the experience, uh, he, you know, he's got a character arc and mm-hmm. he, he he learns and changes. He is very different mm-hmm. from the Morgan Shepherd uh, soul hunter and the mm-hmm. other soul hunter that we saw in that episode and the mute one in this at the end of this one Uh, it just occurred to me i think maybe and that's another thing that's missing from this is we don't get enough of a denouement i mean we have some massively important issues raised with this story if if the soul hunters number one you know are doing a good job but for some alien races this one they screwed up massively um, or have they been screwing up the entire time for all of their existence? And if so, how the heck are they going to fix that? Right. We, we get nothing of that. Right. And, and then in the end, the the climax of the episode is not delivered by Tracy Scoggins. It's not delivered by Jerry Doyle. It's not delivered by Zach Conaway. It's delivered by our guest actor. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a real problem with the mm. end of this episode is that you kind of want your character. In the end, our characters, the last characters that we're familiar with on Babylon 5 are bystanders. Mm-hmm. I think compounded by the fact that because of the lack of other parts, it all happens off screen. He's basically saying, I'm going to go talk to my people and mm-hmm. we're going to work this out. And it'll be fine. And so it's like, well, okay. So they were really against it, but now you're saying it's going to be fine, which I don't entirely believe, and I right. haven't seen any of that relationship. So it's so yes, it, yes, on all of those levels, it is unsatisfying. <laughs> yeah. So what is satisfying about this? There is stuff, because I didn't come away from this actually actively hating it the way I feared I was going to. It... Lo- it loomed much more darkly in my memory than it wound up being. So what works? Yeah. Here, here. I, I think to, for me, it is just it's the few characters that we have in the good moments. Like I, I have always really liked Corwin, Lieutenant Corwin. I just think he's <laughs> and so seeing getting to see him have, uh, you know, a bit more uh, still not enough, honestly, like I would have actually liked this to be a little bit more Corwin forward in terms mm-hmm. of uh, in terms of the lines and stuff. But like, you know, delivering the weird love bat and stuff. I mean, Stephen just goes, Corwin's weird. So that's what he's been doing in <laughs> his spare time. <laughs> I was just like, but I was thinking in my head, okay, JMS had to have seen Strong Medicine, which was a show on, um, God, like Oprah's network or something. I can't remember what it was, but it was a, it was a, a doctory hospital show, uh, led by, led by two women. And he was one of the, one of the main characters. And he was like a real sort of kind of new agey doctor who was very similar to the way that Corwin read in this, in this episode. And I loved him <laughs> on that show. So like that made me super happy. And it just made me want to go back and watch Strong Medicine again because I love him. And I was just like, I wish, I wish we had had more Corwin, but the bits that, that we got made me very very happy here Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I would get major props for, you know, like his competence level. You know, he, Lockley is unavailable because she almost died. And he's the one saying, OK, you know, do this, do that. Get our fighters ready. Um, you know, that is like 180 from, you know, the, the scared lieutenant, the scared um, kid that was on the bridge back in season two or three, whenever he got introduced. I feel mm-hmm. like um, the the crew that we get and the regular cast members we we get other than Franklin are I think that's a positive. I I think the Zach and Garibaldi get some mm-hmm. scenes together where they really yes. didn't get to say goodbye earlier. They they, right. they they get some scenes together here. I think uh, Lockley is uh, you know this is this is <laughs> after season five not giving Tracy Scoggins a lot to do for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Here she gets to be in mm-hmm. charge, and that's and really good. Also figure it out. I know it, she it, figures out yeah. the um the red herring. Does yeah, she have a well, thermal grenade? And she doesn't, yeah, yeah. She doesn't tell yeah. anybody until she's, again, very Captain Kirk. But um, And I also really like the whole poly effect thing that they talk mm-hmm. about and, and the, the idea that every time Garibaldi comes to the station, bad things happen. And at the end, he says, oh, I'm going to come back in a month. And she's like, kill me now. Uh, that, yep. again, as he breaks a vase on the way out. As, <laughs> yeah, all of that. I, I also said I would really like the other thing I'd put in the positive column, although I, I laughed, is that one of the very few speaking parts in this whole thing is Wayne Alexander in another outfit. Because <laughs> yeah. he's ghost, ghost number ghost one. one. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. You know, I would, even, I would even put uh, Dr. Franklin, not being Dr. Franklin, I would even put that in the positive column. I mean, the fact that we didn't get him being him, him, his own character is, is a bummer. But I did like getting to see him, and I thought he was. I thought his performance was really good. The accent definitely was was different, but I didn't think mm-hmm. it was bad. Um, I thought it was it was. Uh, you know, I think he was going for I don't know Jamaican or something, but it mm-hmm. was it was not. It, I liked that it was different enough from his own voice. That so I was I was kind of fine with that, and I really appreciated his like his his speech. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just it gave me goosebumps, and I just thought it was nice. Like that that made sense. She was she was expecting. You know, she needed a doctor. She's in the hospital, and she needed somebody who was a friend. And so that's that's who she would see. And I I liked that. I I asked, and if we want to talk about it for a minute, we can. Um, the, like you said, Jason likened it to the idea of revenge porn, which I'm not sure was a thing yet in the mid nineties. I think that, <laughs> it was. That's it might have been a thing, but it didn't. It it wasn't the the thing it is the now. Okay. Um, But yeah, the idea of these hollow brothels, I mean, you know, on the one hand, no people are physically being harmed in this. But on the other hand, it feels really skeevy, the idea that you can like, you know, bring this picture of whoever uh, and uh, and enjoy this holographic fantasy with them. I don't know. I mean, I, I have trouble <laughs> separating the story concept from the execution, which also felt mm-hmm. skeevy. And I know that that's kind of the point. But yeah, I, yeah. I think the only the only point when the only point when I enjoyed the uh, that whole B plot stuff was the gag of. Uh, Garibaldi and Conaway staring at the hologram of Lock- Lockley. Uh, Garibaldi mm-hmm. and Allen staring mm-hmm. at the hologram of Lockley. Um, I didn't. I didn't particularly enjoy watching Tracy Scoggins in that costume. That felt exploitive. Although that was part of the point. The point. I under. Yeah. I understand this. Uh, but I enjoyed. I enjoyed Garibaldi and Alan's reaction to it, and I enjoyed uh, 
Rio Lockley's reaction to it and the the elevator conversation. Other than that, the whole thing just felt too, just too skeevy. I found it very sad that uh, homophobia or, I don't know, at least polyphobia, I don't know, is still a thing in 2263 because you get the one guy saying, uh, you know, when he sees two people making out in front of him, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, my psychological profile. Oh, but then there was that one time at camp and I was just like, oh, no. Yeah, that was a bit unnecessary. And the idea that uh, Lockley's image was really popular with women didn't quite offset that. No. I did that that didn't make me laugh. I kind of yeah. liked it. <laughs> yeah, that one was good. But yeah, and um, and we we all know that JMS can write a skeevy like character and like the lawyer was he was I feel I feel like he was too effective because I just yeah. I didn't even enjoy watching it. Although I did really really like the little touch that he took his business card back after showing it to Lockley. Like, mm-hmm. here it is. And I'll just put that back in my pocket. I was like, all right, that was that was a nice little bit of work. I don't know if that was in the script or the direction or if it was the actor, but bravo to whoever made that choice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else that we can think of to mention before we go through a jump gate? Because there is well, actually yeah. some stuff we could talk about in spoiler oh, yeah. space. Yeah, surprisingly enough, there is a few things. Um, yeah, I thought I've of got, one other uh, thing. Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say that um, speaking of Lockley, um, I like that she eats from a barbecue place in Down Below. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think might not her- actually be beef, but don't ask. She doesn't care. She's just she likes it. And she mentions that, you know, a lot of the other command staff are scared off by the area. And now knowing what we know about her history, that totally makes sense. She actually feels pretty comfortable mm-hmm. in, in some of the uh, the sketchier places of the yeah. station because she's been that's, through that. And that's something I think I remember from episodes during Babylon 5 during the fifth season. Um, that we see Lockley more than any other command staff person actually like going out and shopping and, and buying things in the Zocalo. I mean, we see, we see others walk through the Zocalo, but you know, she actually is like looking around and buying things and, you know, finding her favorite foods. And yeah, she, she seems to be like she's exploring the station more so. I mean, granted, she didn't have a shadow war and an earth to take Mm -hmm. back. So she has a touch more time on her hands, maybe. But um, I like that. I've got uh, a couple of things. One Mm -hmm. is I wanted to ask you, because you've been diving through all of the fifth season. Um, The uniforms really confuse me because Lockley is wearing an EA uniform, an Earth Alliance Alliance uniform. Zach is wearing a Interstellar Alliance slash Army of Light uniform. And most of the time, Corwin's just wearing a shirt. (laughs) <laughs> and, and yet he's referred to as lieutenant. Now, I can headcanon this a little bit and say, well, you know, it's, it's a joint operated thing. And, you do, you know, they, the EA is is handing Lockley to the, the station corporation and the Interstellar Alliance is, 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 you know, put Zach on loan and Corwin is employed by the – I could make that stuff up. But as a viewer, I'm like asking myself, who are these people why do they even have uniforms if they're right. literally not <laughs> uniform if everyone has a different one? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 because they come from different places. Uh, when B5 seceded from that point on, uh, Corwin wore a shirt. Uh, and, right, but but, but and we're Garib- in the future now, Chip. We're in season six. Yeah, but more or less. And they, <laughs> nobody has worked it out. But apparently not. Apparently, <sighs> uh, I mean that the the point the point is that 
Zach and Corwin, they don't get their checks signed by Earth Force anymore. They're still they're still on the inter- the Alliance payroll. The only reason that Lockley is wearing an Earth Force uniform is that she's the pretty much the only person on the Earth Force payroll brought in to run the station. Um, I th- it's yes, it's weird, but uh, it's I don't see any big reason for him to have changed uniforms yet. Yeah, I don't I don't think that Earth Force would have actually, you know, they're not going to take Zach or Corwin back after everything that they did. So it wouldn't make sense for them to wear those uniforms. Um, and I feel like Zach is the kind of guy who likes to be in uniform, even if he found it mm-hmm. scratchy at first. And uh, <laughs> and yeah, if, if I didn't have to wear a uniform anymore, if I had just, you know, got to wear a shirt to work, which I guess technically I do. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's that's totally. I, I I don't blame I don't blame Corwin at all. Mm. Uh, so, that yeah, is, but that, just that, coming into it cold, it is a little weird. Yeah, and th- that is kind of funny that he that Zach Allen is the last person to be wearing <laughs> mm-hmm. an Army of Light uniform. What if he loses yeah. his jacket? Are there spares? I don't know. Is what I, I just it seems weird that <laughs> they didn't come up not, with some sort of. He's going to have to find them in Barry Taylor's again, and they did not like him. <laughs> I get why it happens production-wise. I just was thinking, you know, if this was season six of Babylon Five, wouldn't they? Would they not standardize? Would they not say, you know what, Lockley, in your role here, you don't have to wear the full uniform. You can wear the shirt with a badge like Corwin. It's fine. Oh, or she wouldn't. She wouldn't. Or so. come up with a whole new Babylon Five or, uniform, which yeah. I feel like makes exactly. The most sense. But mm-hmm. instead, Budget. yeah, Minbari robes all masters. around. Mm. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Too much. Too much fabric, man. Way too expensive. It's hot. <laughs> yeah. I have, okay. I have one uh, one parting shot is that okay. uh, I appreciate that really when you get right down to it, the star of this TV movie is Tracy Scoggins. Um, mm-hmm. Jerry Doyle has top billing with her. He's been around for forever and a day. And yet this story calls for the leader to be the station captain not this corporate ceo who mm-hmm. used to have a job on the station and is coming back so i think to to jms's credit she is given the lion's share of the work to do in this episode and and scoggins handles it very well so uh to the, to that extent i think that this is a great uh, it is a great B5 send-off for Tracy Scoggins. Yeah, Steven said this feels like a spin-off. It's the Captain Lockley Adventures. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? You're right. And I would watch that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as no, long it's, as they it's, had more speaking parts. I mean, I, f- I feel very much like it's this is this is your peering into what season six of Babylon 5 of some sort would be, which is the adventures of Captain Lockley and weird things mm-hmm. that happen on Babylon 5, right? That would be mm-hmm. one way you could this. We're peering into the future to a, a future that, that that didn't didn't come to pass. Yep. Mm hmm. I have uh, I have I have two other little things that I want to mention. Okay. One is uh, you guys sometimes talk on this podcast, and I really enjoy it about those exposition moments, which are often called the "as you know, Bob" speech. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to point out 
Garibaldi literally says to Lockley, mm-hmm. well, as you know, yeah. <laughs> at one point, yeah. as he sketches over uh, that he is, I am now the CEO of Edgar's in- Industries and all of that, which may be in there because there's this concern that people are going to pick this up and say, why isn't he the head of security? I must right. have missed that episode. But still, it made me laugh to see an actual, <laughs> as yeah. you know, Bob, in the wild, as you know, Captain Lockley. <laughs> And then my, my last item that I wanted to do before we go into the jump gate is just, it is amazing how many souls you can stuff in a glowing bowling ball. That's all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Steven also called it a bowling ball. It's, there, there is those scenes at the end. It really looks like a bowling ball. Well, you know, one of the kind of like shimmery mm-hmm. kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. About the right size. Yeah. No, <laughs> no objections like a nine there. pounder. Okay. Yep. Just need some finger holes. Okay, so everybody's Pink gotten souls. everything. <laughs> so that is everything from everybody that can be said before the jump gate. I think so. Okay. I hope so. <laughs> All right, then um, we have your last homework assignment. Your last wow. homework assignment. We're coming up on the finals. Sleeping in light. <laughs> Sleeping in Light, yes, it was filmed to air at the end of season four, and then suddenly TNT stepped in, and they got the fifth season, so this was held back and uh, aired at the end of season five. Uh, So, uh, Sleeping in Light, uh, as always, you can come and talk to us about all of these episodes that we have been doing, all 110 before this one, this one and the next uh, at our website, b5audioguide.com, where we have our uh, chat threads divided into spoiler-free and spoiler-full. Uh, and yes, surprisingly enough, there's still a few things that we can talk about in spoiler space. You can also uh, talk to us at b5audioguide on Twitter and Tumblr. Uh, Jason, where can people find you if they wish to talk about you more or talk to you more? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Jay Snell, and I appear on many fine podcasts at theincomparable.com and relay.fm. Okay. All right, then, for my last turn, we go into spoiler space through our jump gate. Okay, so we have a few things uh, that sort of tie into things that will be coming later on. Uh, Chip, you were the one We're not that, coming. Well, yeah. Um, but you know, Chip, you were the one who like at least once slapped the um slapped the pause button uh to point out that uh some things that we had to talk about. Yeah, uh the first thing that I want to do is that I I very much feel like Dr. Bryson is a dry run for the Max Eilerson character in Crusade. Um the the Rogue archaeologist stuff happens a fair bit in B5 with uh, uh, the character in Third Space and now this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but Bryson's got some of that amorality stuff going on that feels very much like Eilerson. Um, so I feel like that was just, you know, s- sort of getting that idea underway because Crusade would have involved a fair bit of uh the archaeology thing going on and this was a good startup for it Hmm. yeah something that i kept wondering um because it was mentioned several times was the idea of edgar's industries having all of these black projects i mean it makes sense you know they were the ones who developed the telepath virus 
Uh, but my wondering was um, if JMS was seeding that as possible fodder uh, for things to come out during Crusade. Now, Crusade only got half a season, so uh, we don't know. We will never know. But um, that was something that was pinging my radar. I think he wanted, I, I suspect, uh, sticking Garibaldi in that place, as we see in this episode, like is a place that could be fruitful in terms mm-hmm. of generating stories for whatever Babylon 5 stuff might come later, right? To have, well, Garibaldi is a curious guy, and he's just inherited this mess of a company that's been doing all sorts of shady things, and maybe some stories come out of that. And then, you know, I'm not sure if he thought anything beyond that, but it does feel a little bit like that's not a bad place to stick Michael Garibaldi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I thought about, and it's not necessarily intentional Uh, it may just be a byproduct of the fact that the story is so slight for river of souls but this really is the beginning of the end for babylon 5 as the hub of activity for the universe um you know we end with we end objects at rest objects at rest includes the walk down of all of the people who are replacing all of our regular characters so you get the idea that they're still ambassadors to babylon 5 and all this other stuff but this episode babylon 5 is not significant in itself babylon 5 is just the place where this stuff happens mm-hmm. right and in crusade you we only get one aired episode that takes place at babylon 5 and it is another place where things happen uh, five years down the road. Keep going all the way to the end, you know. Um, oh, and uh, leapfrogging and ep- something that was made later but takes place earlier, uh, Legend of the Rangers, which just ends, you know, the, the episode ends when they come into parking orbit around Babylon 5, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of odd for a, for a pilot movie called Babylon 5, The Legend of the Rangers. Um, <laughs> but... Ultimately, we get to Sleeping in Light, and Babylon 5 is shut down because it's become essentially redundant. It's it's time is done. And this sort of feels like the first signs of that because, again, it's, it's, it's not a significant Babylon 5 story. It's just something that happens there. Sheridan is gone. Delenn is gone. The advisory council is gone. Babylon 5 is just this place, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we get, you know, Tracy Scoggins in one or two Crusade episodes, but uh, but yeah, the the, the shift now that um, there is no more intergalactic interstellar war, hopefully, uh, there's um, no conflicts with Earth at this point. Babylon 5 is still running mostly independently, although um, Scoggins, I mean, Lockley is um, representing Earth Force as the captain. Uh, so all we know of it, its main draws now seem to be commercial and travel. And, you know, through the 20 years into Sleeping in Light, apparently, you know, places have shifted as far as where people want to go or where people want to get so that uh, the station is no longer needed. It is no longer necessary. And uh, as we will see in Sleeping in Light, they have decommissioned it and they wind up scuttling the thing and uh, blowing it to bits. Yeah. Yeah, from a uh, headcanon-ish sort of perspective, what I like about River of Souls is that it, like I said before, spoiler space, it 
implies a sixth season or at least part of the world of the sixth season of Babylon 5 that never came to be, where obviously for practical reasons, it's never going to come back because they're not going to do another Babylon 5 show. They're going to do spinoffs that are elsewhere. And so the the stories are not going to be told here. But I like to think with an episode like this, it's also saying but those adventures, you know, Lockley and her gang will continue to have adventures. Who knows what, who will turn up next week on mm-hmm. Babylon 5 to cause trouble, but we're not going to see those stories. We already told the story we wanted to tell, and yeah. now we're done. But yeah, it, it is nice that's... to sort of imagine they reside in this, you know, they continue to have kind of adventures, not at the center of the of the big, big storyline, right? It would be literally just an episode of the week every week. Yeah, although that's slightly undercut by, you know... Lockley and Corwin observing how pleasant and quiet it's been up until the point <laughs> Garibaldi shows up. Yeah, so there's Garibaldi always something. Still need the, apparently, we still need the classic characters for interesting things to happen at B5. You know, 22 <laughs> times a year, something weird happens. <laughs> okay. Uh, anything else we can think of? Um, I just want to say before we go... Um, that uh, I'm, I love this podcast. I'm going to miss it, uh, but thank you for doing it and doing the five year thing. And I will say once again, you're going to do Sleeping in Light next week. And what excites me about that, in part, is that that was when I was on the set. Was when they were shooting that episode, <laughs> and I and I got to walk past Bruce Boxleitner being mildly annoyed by the fact that he was waiting for a, a setup to be finished so they could start shooting a scene. And it was one of his scenes on Minbar. Um, And my real memory of being on the set, because most of the people weren't there, or if they were there, they were there for, like, ancillary material. Like, Peter Jurisic was there to be interviewed for, like, a CD-ROM or something. And and I think uh, Rick Biggs was, too. And But there were a lot. Speaking of extras, <laughs> there were so many Minbari when we were there. There were, like, a <laughs> dozen Minbari in robes, in the makeup. They were taking their breaks out back. <laughs> um, because, because of course, so much of sleeping, sleeping in light is set on Minbar. Right. And, uh, so that's my memory from, from 20 years ago, since you're going to cover it next week. And that's the reason I never met JMS is that normally he would say hi to people who are visiting the studio, but he was directing that episode first time oh. director. And so okay. he was not available for the rest of us. But anyway, I will miss, uh, the other guide to Babylon five. And I look forward to whatever you might do after your hiatus. Well, and thank you for letting me be your official uh, person who talks about dead kids. I'm sure there were dead kids in the, in that in that soul in that globe. Rack. I'm no, sure there were kids no, in there they too. They were dead. They were on the verge of yeah. transcendence. Okay, well, well you know, I'll check with the soul dead, hunters. I'm, there may have been dead kids in some of the other soul globes in the opening sequence. I'm sure there were. I mean, how, what are the chances? I, I it's almost right. certainly. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, Jason, we thank you for being a regular guest on uh, on the Body of Guide to Babylon 5. We thank our listeners who have stuck with us uh, since we first started this. Those of you who have discovered us recently, we see you guys on Twitter saying, hey, I just found this and I can't wait to start watching and catch up to you guys. Well, you better hurry because <laughs> in two <laughs> weeks we are going to be talking about sleeping in light. Uh, and it's a, okay. Seriously, it's okay on your own pace, guys. We'll mm-hmm. we'll be here. Uh, so uh, Chip will be moderating us through our last episode. And until then, this is Shannon and Durham. Chip and Durham. And Erica and Edmonton. And you've been listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5.
the soul hunter is here to steal your soul. He wants to save it in a cave. No one will find it probably. Archaeologists may find out where it is. The soul hunter.